Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm Pastor James Cleland, uh, and it's my joy today to remind you about one thing, which is the Father's Day raffle. Uh, I didn't see all the dads in here in that raffle yet, so there's a QR code in your bulletin that can get you into that raffle. Beer is one of the prizes, barbecue, and beef jerky. So the holy trinity of being a dad, I guess. So be sure to sign up for that. And it's also, you know, it's my joy today because it's Father's Day to tell you a dad joke. Uh, We got a little more time in this service, so I'm going to go with a longer format dad joke. Uh, So it's a bit of a story. This week was my birthday on Wednesday. Yeah, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, Turned 40 again for the second time. So, Uh, and my family forgot about my birthday. Oh. And I woke up in the morning, and, and I, you know, they weren't up yet, and I started making breakfast, and one by one they came in, and no one recognized that it was my birthday. As I made them pancakes with syrup, my kids didn't even remember, right? Uh, we're, we're cleaning up breakfast, and everyone goes off except for my son, who's got extra syrup and just getting all messy and whatnot. And I see this look on his face. He looks up and he goes, oh! and he runs off. And I'm like, get back here. Your hands are dirty. Whatever. <laughs> Runs off and comes back after, you know, rummaging through our playroom and hands me a deck of cards that he's gotten syrup all over. (laughs) And he says, Dad, happy birthday. And I say, oh, thanks, Andy. And by the end of the day, that was the only thing I got for my birthday. All I got for my birthday was a sticky deck of cards. It was kind of hard to deal with. Okay, so that one wasn't that great. That one wasn't that great. All right, I'll take it. How about another uh, quicker one? What do you call a book club that's been stuck on the same book for years? What? Church. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's, let's jump back into Scripture, our book for the day. Uh, and we're reading from Romans, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a bunch of Christians like you and me. That was his audience and he's, he's talking about himself right now. I want you to remember that, but he's also talking about you and me. Romans 7, 14 through 25. I know that God's standards in Moses' teachings are spiritual, but I have a corrupt nature, sold as a slave to sin. I don't realize what I'm doing. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate. I don't do what I want to do, but I agree that God's standards are good. So I'm no longer the one who is doing the things I hate, but sin that lives in me is doing them. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, nothing good lives in my corrupt nature, although I have the desire to do what is right, I don't do it. I don't do the good I want to do, instead I do the evil that I don't want to do. Now when I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one who is doing it, sin that lives in me is doing it, so I've discovered this truth. Evil is present with me even when I want to do what God's standards say is good. I take pleasure in God's standards in my inner being. However, I see a different standard at work throughout my body. It is at war with the standards my mind sets and tries to take me captive to sin standards which still exist throughout my body. What a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me from my dying body? I thank God that our Lord Jesus Christ rescues me. So I am obedient to God's standards with my mind, but I am obedient to sin standards with my corrupt nature. This is the word of the Lord. 
Before I go any further, we're, we're talking about kind of a deep subject, the fact that you're a bunch of sinners, which can hit a little hard sometimes. So I want to assure you of something first, and it's what Paul does in all of his letters before he reminds people that they're a bunch of sinners. He reminds them who they are, that they are children of God, that they are right with their Father in heaven, not because of anything they have done, but because of everything Christ has done for you. His life, his death, his resurrection have all been given to you, not because of anything you have done, and you are right with God. Knowing that, I think we can move forward a little bit, okay? And since it's Father's Day, and since we're having fun today playing a bunch of games, we played Name That Tune earlier. Uh, now we're going to play Name That Patriarch. Okay, patriarch is a fancy term for the old dudes in the Old Testament, the fathers of the Old Testament, okay? You know the guys, right? So you're going to be able to answer these questions pretty easy. Uh, let's see. The first one, I don't think will be too hard. So if you know the answer, I want you to whisper it to the person next to you, okay? So this father in the Bible got so drunk, he passed out naked in front of his family. You know this guy, right? Noah. Noah. I said whisper it to your neighbor. <laughs> Someone's not a good dad. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> this next one, this father in the Bible, lied about his wife and said that she was his sister and made her have a relationship with another man in order to save his own life. Relationship. Anybody? Okay, now you can yell it out. Who was that? Abraham. Father Abraham, who had many sons, right? The father Abraham that we look up to as a patriarch of the Bible was a really great husband and father. Ugh. All right, how about this one? This father in the Bible had a favorite son and let it be known. So this guy played favorites with his kids. He also raised one of the most notorious liars in the Bible. Anybody? Isaac. His son Jacob was the notorious liar. And then Jacob, because he knew his dad's sin about having favorites, he definitely didn't play favorites with his sons and give one of them a really fancy coat and cause a bunch of problems with his kids. No way would he do that. All right, how about this one? Uh, this father in the Bible slept with his daughter-in-law because she was disguised as a prostitute. Let's go through this one quickly. It was Judah. Moving on. All right, how about this guy? This, this guy, uh, I thought he was good. This father in the Bible beat another man to death, then fled to another country instead of facing justice. Yeah, Moses, the giver of the law. Yeah, he's the guy who did that. Okay. Well, let's, how about, I'll give you a little hint, the biggest patriarch of the Old Testament, the most manly man ever, the most fatherly father in the Old Testament. This father in the Bible murdered another man so he could have sex with their wife, King David. I started trying to look for fathers in the Old Testament that we could hold up and be like, these are who you're supposed to be like. It's not easy. There were times these guys act like good fathers, but it is not the norm for them. And I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say this. You guys in the, in the audience with kids, you probably feel a little better after hearing all that, right? Well, the thing is, we are a lot like these fathers. I'm just like these fathers of the Old Testament. Okay, maybe not just like them. Thank you very much. But I have some of the same problems. See, my boy this week discovered the concept of pranking people. 
And his first prank he came up with is when he feels the urge to sneeze, he runs to his sister and sneezes on her. And then says, it's just a joke. Now, as a father, I know that I am not supposed to laugh. I know that's not the right thing to do. I believe it in my heart, but the first time he did it, I laughed, which led to the next 12 times he did it. And I also know as a father that I told him 10 times not to do it, because the second time it was still funny, and he, I know that I'm not supposed to get angry at him and yell at him, and yet that's exactly what I did. This is what Paul is talking about. We know exactly what we should do. Our hearts are being changed by God. We know his laws. We know they're good. We want to do them, and yet we can't do it. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing." This is some really confusing stuff from Paul. I hope you felt a little confused when I was reading it. It's a lot of back forth, back forth stuff. And the thing is, it's actually in the middle of his letter to the Romans. He's actually covered a lot of ground up to this point. The first thing he covered was what I covered with you, which is you are children of God. You are good to go. Quit worrying about this thing. But then he does something. And let's follow him through Romans 1 through 7 so we can kind of catch up with what he's talking about here. The first thing he does is he reminds all of those Christians in Rome who they were before they heard of God's laws and his standards for their lives, his beautiful, righteous ways of doing things. Well, this is what we were before that. We were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Before we have God's rules, we are a hot mess. Fathers, mothers in the room, teachers in the room, camp counselors in the room, you know this. If you don't give your kids rules, this is what they are, right? We need God's law. It is a gift to us. It is a beautiful description of how things should be, a beautiful description of righteousness. But Paul moves on, and in Romans 2, he describes what we do with this gift. We're given this beautiful description of righteousness, and we weaponize it. We want everyone else to be called out for their sin, and we would love to call them out on it. We judge other people, and in so doing, judge ourselves and condemn ourselves. I've done this before. I've gone up to a pastor and said, hey, we need to talk about this particular issue out there in the culture, whether it be pride, whether it be hate, whether it be whatever. We need to talk about that issue. And I was blessed to have a pastor who turned to me and said, that's great and all, but that's not what you're dealing with. What sin should I preach from the pulpit for you? Much harder question. This is who we are. We take God's beautiful law and we use it to hate other people, to tear them down, to sin against them while we commit the same sins. Paul says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. 
It's not looking good for us if we have to rely on God's law to be right before him. It's not looking good for us if we have to be the perfect father. And then Paul hits them with this truth. When you hear God's law, it causes you to sin. Okay, that sounds counterintuitive because God's law is good, and it is good. It's beautiful, but we are so messed up when we hear God's beautiful description of what we should and shouldn't do, it causes us to sin. Now, there are some of you in the room who are going to totally get what I'm talking about. It's everyone who's ever tried to do a low-carb diet. I've tried it no less than five times. I am not a huge fan of carbs and sweets. I love steak and cheese and various other types of meat and cheese, and I don't really have a deal with, with, with uh, sweets. But the moment someone tells me, you're on this diet and you have to completely avoid sweets, it's all I want, it's all I can see, and eventually I give in and binge on it. This is how we are with God's laws, with the Ten Commandments. When God tells us, do not covet your neighbor's house, Immediately, you start picturing your neighbor's house in your mind, and you start seeing the fact that he has 2.5 toilets. You only have 2.0 toilets. Where's your 0.5 toilets that you so deserve? Right? I've never wanted a donkey before, but as soon as I was told I couldn't covet a donkey, now I want a donkey. This is who we are. We hear God's beautiful law, and it actually bubbles up sin in our life when we should be responding with Oh yeah, I shouldn't do that. Without it, we're a mess. With it, we judge other people. And when we hear it, it actually causes sin in us. And we are condemned all three ways. So what hope do we have? If we're a bunch of dudes and ladies that are just like the patriarchs in the Old Testament, what hope do we have? Even after hearing the gospel, we're still sinning all over the place, aren't we? Well, Paul addresses that ever, uh, right before he gets into his existential crisis of being a saint and a sinner. He addresses it. And he's talking literally about those fathers of the Old Testament. He says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Those patriarchs of the Old Testament are not righteous because of the things they did and didn't do. They are righteous because they trusted in the promise of God that he would make things right, that he would be righteousness for them. And they looked forward to the day that Christ would come and do that. That's why they were counted as righteous because it's pretty obvious looking at them that they're just as sinful as you and me. And Paul also talks about in Romans 5, our situation. We're post-Christ. We have the gift of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, and yet we're still sinning. Well, what do we do? Well, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have been made right with God through trust in God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ not because of anything you have done or not done. Purely faith. What hope do we have? I'll tell you a little story. I love going to New York City, and one of the reasons I love going to New York City is almost every time I go, someone 
inevitably mistakes me and thinks that I am a celebrity. I know what you're thinking, George Clooney, <laughs> right? Michael Keaton, some other Batman. No, they think that I am Jack Black. <laughs> we have the same physique. We have the same gregarious nature. We have the same disregard for rules. Me and Jack Black. And one of the times I was in New York City, I went to an opening night of a Broadway show. And uh, because it was opening night, there were a few B-list and C-list celebrities around, maybe an A-list or two. And there were a lot of tourists there also. So during intermission, I look up, my sister elbows me, and she's like, hey, it's happening again. I'm like, what's happening? She's like, they think you're Jack Black. I'm like, oh, yes. And there's some tourists who actually approach me this time, and no amount of signing playbills or posing for selfies convinced them that I wasn't Jack Black. In that moment... All of Jack Black's celebrity was mine. All the movies he starred in, all the good deeds he had done for charities, all the funny TikTok videos, and there's a lot of them, they were all mine. His celebrity was painted on me, imbued on me, imputed on me. I was Jack Black. This is our hope as Christians. As we are struggling with the question, why do I keep sinning? We rest in this reality that you have all of Christ's righteousness, all of his celebrity, everything he's done, all the good. His life, his death, his resurrection are all painted on you, imbued on you, imputed in you. All his righteousness is counted as yours. When you stand before God on judgment day, he will look at you and see Christ. Not only that, you are now his son, a co-heir with Christ, co-celebrity. You get credit for everything. And it's way better than the little bit of celebrity I got being Jack Black. This is your reality as a Christian. What you are is a sinner. Who you are is a child of God. There's a battle you'll never win, and that's with sin, but the battle has already been won for you. And we rest in that reality as we wrestle with a question that really can't fully be answered on this side of eternity. Why do I keep sinning? But Paul starts to give us some answers. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't need to fear the fact that you keep sinning. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. As you fail at being a father, and sometimes get it right, but fail a lot of the time, Remember that you can cry out to your father and actually call him father now because you are his son because of Christ. This is the reality. This is the gospel rest that Paul is able to say the things he says about simultaneously being a sinner and a saint. 
He can say that to us, and we can say it too, with full assurance that we are sons of God, and He is our Father, and everything is right with that Father. Amen? So back to the question, why do I still sin? Why do I still sin? Here's Paul's answer. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we who are believers in Christ who have been given tastes of the world to come, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why do I still sin? Because Christ is not done with me yet. Why do you still sin? Because Christ is not done with you yet. He will return one day, make all things new, and give you a new body that is the same kind of flesh, but without sin. A body in which you won't be struggling to do the things you know are right, that you want to do. A body that is in complete alignment with the Spirit God is giving you. Amen? That is a reality we can look forward to. It is a mystery, mystery we don't fully understand, but it is a promise God has given us. Rest in that promise that one day your body won't fail you with sin, with sickness, or with death. Now, in the meantime, don't go around thinking, well, then I can just sin and do whatever I want. Paul has some things to say about that. We'll get to it another day. But basically, it's this. God is not waiting to give you all the promises he's promising you. He's given you tastes of that future reality whenever he's working his righteousness in and through you and despite your flesh. So look for those opportunities. Grow in them. Speak them to other people. Encourage them also. But with the full understanding that one day it's all going to be made right. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Father God, we are miserable, wretched sinners. We fail as fathers, as mothers, and as children time and time again. We know what is right. We want to do it, and yet we fail. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ's righteousness. Thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters and letting us call you Father. We await the day that you will make all things new and give us new bodies that do not struggle with sin, sickness, and death anymore. As we wait, work your beautiful standards and law in our lives despite our sinful flesh so that you will be glorified. Amen. Please look up and, and say the Lord's Prayer with me. It's on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as I pull up our raffle for the day. I'm assuming everyone's had a chance to fill it out. All right, I'm going to spin it. it, it it's spinning.
Ulysses. Is there a Ulysses in the house? Find me after worship, and I've got your prizes. That is awesome. Hey, here at St. Mark, uh, we, we have a tradition. We cup our hands like this as we receive a blessing. Uh, some of you received blessings of barbecue, beef jerky, and beer, but I'm going to give you an even better blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen. Happy Father's Day. I hope you made it out in time to uh, go somewhere fun.